This is Poured Over, a show about stories presented by the booksellers of Barnes & Noble. I'm Ewan Messer. I'm the producer and host of Poured Over, and I'm very, very, very happy to be with Ed Park at our store on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, which we are doing our first live taping. So if you hear background noise, if you hear other stuff, it's because we're live in the middle of a bookstore. So thank you, Ed, for being here. Fifteen years after Personal Days, which is one of my favorite novels. Fifteen years, dude. Fifteen years. Same bed, different dreams. It's a gorgeous title, but it's long. (laughs) Fifteen years, though. I know. Yeah, that's... Talk about long. Uh, Okay. Um, It's it's maybe no coincidence that my oldest son is 15 years old. Okay. I'm just throwing that out there. So is this where I get to ask you how you manage to load the dishwasher and write and raise your kids at the same time? Yeah. Well, it's. Um, I don't want to sound like a single dad. My wife is here in the audience. But, I'm just uh, being sarcastic. I'm sorry. That is a question that women writers get asked all the time, yeah. and I'm just kind of like men do it too. Although, you know, just as a side note, the place that I where I write mm-hmm. in the apartment is like r- like ten feet from the dishwasher, so I actually do a lot of. Putting the putting the okay. plates in, taking them out. I find okay. it, I find it meditative. It helps mm-hmm. me when I'm. I hate the dishwasher. <laughs> I really do, but so be it. All right. So, 15 years after Personal Days, you have written a dystopian epic that pulls from movie history and science fiction and tech. And, of course, the literary world, which you hit a little close to the bone there a couple of times. (laughs) This is a very Ed Park book to me. I feel like this is all of the stuff I've seen you do in the New York Review of Books, all of the stuff Mm. I've seen you do in the New Yorker and Book Forum, all of these places. And now we get it in a novel. Yeah? Yeah. You know, I... So I write for all those places mm-hmm. and uh, fiction, but also a lot of articles and reviews. And mm-hmm. I've also worked as an editor. And so when I started writing those pieces, it was sort of a, a sideline. But, you know, I take those assignments pretty seriously. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I say yes far too often. So if somebody's like, could you write about, you know, Thomas Pynchon or something? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah. sure. And then, you know, three months later, I come out with this thing. But I think doing that kind of research and sort of honing uh, my thoughts on these different writers, all of whom I find fascinating, Mm -hmm. you know, over the years, and we're talking 15 years, right? That's got to like kind of leak into my brain Mm -hmm. a bit. And in fact, some of those writers, especially uh, a couple of Korean writers from the past that I've written about for the New York Review, they appear as, you know, fictionalized versions of themselves in Mm -hmm. in Same Bed, Different Dreams. So it it all kind of feeds into each other. So we've got three storylines. Yeah. All of this novel, all 518 pages, give or take? Something like that, yeah. Flies. Thank you. It flies. I could not believe how... And I read pretty quickly, but there was going to be no interruption of the reading. Mm. There was going to be absolutely no interruption. And the world felt really familiar to me. And that's with all of the gizmos that Ed has invented. Some of them are, you know, vaguely familiar. But I knew where I was. Good. At every single point. Like, and you didn't lose me once. And you're doing some structural stuff in this book. Yeah. That, okay, how many of you have read Personal Days? I'm assuming most of you have, right? 
Okay, so you know that thing he does with the voice and you switch between the three sections, right? Okay, this is one of the reasons we love Ed. What you're doing structurally in Same Bed, Different Dreams is even beyond that. Yeah. And I'm not chalking that up to you had 15 years to play right. with it. Because sometimes 15 years playing with a manuscript is not, not actually a good, a good thing. Right. So I want to talk about how you wrangled this into what we get to experience. Sure. Well, you know, it's been 15 years since Personal Days. It's been about nine years of working on this book. Mm -hmm. So there was, <laughs> I guess, what, what's the math here? Six years of, I don't know. I was, I was actually working on other stuff that, mm -hmm. you know, didn't kind of come to fruition. But for this book, it started with what's now like the second chapter. And it's a storyline that follows a character named Soon Sheen. He's kind of like an Ed Park stand-in in some ways. Mm -hmm. uh, my age, from Buffalo. Parents are from Korea. Played hockey growing up, etc. But then it, it kind of goes, it deviates from like my biography. And he's working upstate at a tech company called Gloat, which is sort of a combination of the big, it, it's kind of a The obvious of, and the more obvious. <laughs> like, exactly. You know, at first it was like more of a social media thing, but then I was like, mm. let's just bundle that, bundle it all together. Right. And that storyline takes place around 2016 mm -hmm. over, over the course of just a couple months. And those chapters are staggered throughout the book. And that's kind of a through line in terms mm -hmm. of the, the I voice. Yeah. And so that's where you see sort of the kind of the literary satire, the publishing industry satire you oh, mentioned. Dude, yeah. there was a little too much of. Mm. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, okay. It's all completely made up. Nobody. It's not a Ramona Clay. I, um, yes, I understand that. But the the you hit some buttons some that buttons, yeah. I thought had been left in the 90s and I was a little annoyed but well it was you know that, that the first scene in the book you know with this character it's like a big dinner party with a lot of sort of literary uh, types and I was just having fun it was like mm -hmm, a yeah. party in my mind where these people could talk and I kind of went with that for a while just like those there are a lot of characters introduced early on and mm -hmm. I just kind of follow them and to, to make a long story short it, it kind of it just kept going and you know some of it was really good and others other parts i got a little lost and mm -hmm. at a certain point i realized this it this cannot be the book like right. there's a strong voice but it it, it peters out around mm -hmm. you know page 400 or something but but then Dude. I, yeah no, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm i'm joking but you know there there's that feeling like also as the years go on you're like i'm working you know something's got to give like right. something's not working if you don't feel like you're arriving at a better version of it you know every right. every day and I had a literary revelation. I read a, a book called Big Bang by uh, a writer named David Bowman, a, mm -hmm. a posthumous novel that was kind of like unlike... Oh, Let you know the Dog talking? Drive the Car. Yeah, that Let guy. the Dog Drive. Yes, okay. exactly. Uh, yeah. Well, you know that, that... So he wrote a book called Let the Dog Drive in the 90s that NYU Press published. And I love that book. It's like a kind of a cult classic. Right, right, right. right. And he sort of faded. He wrote a couple other books and he sort of faded from the scene mm -hmm. and he died quite young. But... Anyway, this uh, Jonathan Lethem actually edited this posthumous manuscript. It's it's a great book if you're at all interested in you know twenty mid century uh, American history pop culture. It's mm -hmm. it's all there. But it kind of gave me permission to like think about Korean history that way. Like, what if I were to write a book where I could talk about all the things that I found fascinating about mm -hmm. Korean history, early Korean American history, mm -hmm. and American history, to be honest, right. and how, how these two, uh, how these things kind of interweave. Mm -hmm. So I started writing that, just these almost like notes to myself, mm -hmm. just to be like, let's talk about Yi Sung, this modernist poet from the 20s, mm -hmm. who's like, writes these poems that are all numbers. 
Let's talk about, um, you know, Syngman Rhee, who, who becomes the first president of mm -hmm. South Korea. And I realized that this was actually not a separate project, but it belonged in the bigger, right. in the bigger novel. So that's the second thread, uh, um, the second kind of section of the book. I mean, they're, they're called dreams. So dream one, two, three, four, and five. Mm -hmm. And those are kind of in between the other narrative. This is our. You should, you should probably be diagramming this because it's no, pretty, no, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. Nope, 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 okay. nope. Wait, wait, wait. You don't have to diagram it. You just have to turn the pages. <laughs> Thank you. And let yourself go, because I'm telling you, you will recognize this world. And yes, I'm talking about a dystopian novel. Like you know, well, it's Thursday in a bookstore. I'm talking about a dystopian novel, but. The familiarity, and I don't know, we don't teach Korean history, we know this right. I don't know Korean history probably the way I should. I'm also going to take a moment and say we have to come back to the Japanese. We're going to talk about sure. Japan and that's re their relationship to Korea as well, and imperialism and colonialism, because you can't talk about the history of Korea without talking about these pieces. And then you can't talk about what happened to Korea without talking about American imperialism, right? And then I get to add a layer to it because I'm part Japanese and part Taiwanese, mm -hmm. and if you know, you know. Hello, imperialism. <laughs> we have a very complicated history there, too. So all of these pieces, yeah. right, that we don't teach mm -hmm. in the U.S., like we really, in some cases, don't even now know how to have that conversation about what it means to be yeah. Asian American or, or where we're going as Asian Americans or whether or not we are a unified community, right? right. All of this plays in yeah. to what you're doing. Well, I think what you you're saying like we don't we don't know how to teach this. We yeah. don't know what I mean, one re you know, I'm in I'm I'm an old man now. One reason I didn't write this book in my 20s, I think is because that it it is a question like what is what is Asian American? What is Korean American? Like you're not really taught that in school. And so it's no. been kind of a lifetime of thinking about it and trying to like work it into into fiction. And also Asian American identity too really belonged to the West Coast. When you and I mm -hmm. were young, it belonged to LA, it belonged to San Francisco. Like That's a good point. people will fight over who invented the nomenclature itself, right? Like was it San Francisco, was it was it Berkeley, was it uh, UCLA? I'm not gonna get in the middle of that fight because I will lose. I was born in Boston. I was first and only in too many rooms. I was integrating mm -hmm. my nursery mm -hmm. school. Like I <laughs> But yeah. there's a much stronger Asian American identity on the West Coast than there is on the East Coast. You grew up yeah. in Buffalo, man. I grew up in you Buffalo. were first and only in a lot of rooms too. Yeah, I mean, there there was you know kind of a small but tight knit Korean community there, mm -hmm. but it was also like consciously or not, you're you're assimilating, right? right. And you're, I mean, does Buffalo have a K town? No. I okay. think it has. I think it has two Korean okay. restaurants. So yeah, Boston. And when I was growing up, it had maybe one. Okay. Yeah. I Boston still doesn't have a K town, mm. but Chinatown in Boston. When I was a kid, it was like three blocks, mm -hmm. and that was kind of a stretch. And then you hit the combat zone. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know, I get to New York, and there's a Chinatown here, right. but that you know, LA still has a little Tokyo, and yes, it's shrinking, but yeah. it still exists. Like Seattle still has yeah. a Japan town, like these tiny, tiny pockets still are there, but we haven't figured out, as Americans, how to talk about that piece of our experience. Mm -hmm. You're doing that here, though, yeah, in this much. book, in a way that, yeah, we couldn't have done in our 20s. Right. There's no way. Right. There's no way. I think it's, you know, having distance from that that time in my life mm -hmm. and, and also, you know, having the privilege of, <laughs> of being alive and just kind of seeing how 
how history, uh, you know, extends mm-hmm. and, and where we are now. It's kind of crazy. Like there was, there are so many Korean American uh, novels and works of fiction right, published right. this year, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, for growing up, there certainly weren't any. There were like two books in fifty years or something. Dude, like, um, it was, oh, it was a wasteland. So it's, it was. <laughs> so things have changed, and I think uh, one, re- you know, nine nine years ago when I started writing it, I think there was this idea. We mentioned Personal Day is my mm-hmm. first book, which is kind of this, it's an office comedy, but race is not really a part of it, right? And in fact, sometimes we don't even know the characters' last names. It, right. it sort of, it comes in a little bit, but it was almost like I was saving all my thinking around that for this book. I don't think the world was ready for Personal Days to have been a different book. Yeah. If you think about the conversations we have mm-hmm. about race now, that still makes some people profoundly uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. When I look back at sort of what the landscape looked like in the 90s, certainly late 90s, early aughts, publishing was having this moment where a lot of energy was going into sort of what we were calling diverse voices, right? And then it stopped for a while because then suddenly everyone was like, well, no one's really buying these books. And right. it's like, well, no, actually, they are when they can find them. Mm-hmm. That's a whole different conversation. But then we had a moment where it was kind of like, okay, Hey, we hit our quota. Mm, yeah. Right? And now we're seeing that energy come back. Coming and back. we're seeing yeah. people who are looking for more. And some of that energy is going into YA publishing. Some of that energy is going into genres like romance and sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Like sci-fi used to be sort of this extremely white landscape for a very, very long time. And right. all of the people winning the prizes and you know, all of the bestsellers and whatnot. Even, I mean, I'm sorry, elves, right? We're writing about elves. We're writing about pointy ears and lasers and we can't talk about race? Okay, cool. <laughs> and I do want to bring in sci-fi because you're teaching yeah. sci-fi in a way at Princeton. There is yes. a sci-fi piece running through this. You have a great character. Yeah. And like, I like the idea that we can play with the genre and we can use genre to talk about the stuff that makes it profoundly uncomfortable. Yeah, I think that was my intention. I mean, I've always you know, I've always read science fiction. I'm teaching a speculative fiction workshop, which has been really fun. I've taught workshop, you know, standard mm-hmm. writing workshops before, but now this time, like every story is about the multiverse, like like time travel, like all these crazy things happen. So it's just you know very entertaining to kind of get these these stories. The way it functions in same bed, different dreams is so I, I mentioned that these two threads mm-hmm. that going through these two narrative threads. There's a third one, which is a little bit harder to explain, but each of those chapters is titled 2333. And so it's kind of a futuristic date, right? Right. There's a science fiction writer who is a former uh, Korean War Mm -hmm. uh, fighter fighter pilot named uh, Parker Jotter. Uh, He's African-American. He lives in Buffalo, and he runs an electronics store, like an appliance store. This is kind of the typical occupation of a Philip K. Dick character. Like, Mm -hmm. if you you read Philip K. Dick, that's what a lot of his characters Mm -hmm. do. But... What I wanted to do was have him have this character, Parker Jotter. He's writing these science fiction novels on the side and, and mm-hmm. getting them published. Um, they have kind of a small following, and some of his readers think that there are um, things about Korea mm-hmm. in his book based on his experience. Because when he was fighting in Korea, he saw, you know, for lack of a better term, a UFO. He was captured, jailed by, by, the, by the North, by the communists. And he doesn't really talk about that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, so one of the conceits is that in his science fiction, which 
supposedly has nothing to do with our world, these kind of pieces of Korean history and, and folklore and stuff are, are creeping into his book, and he flatly denies it. Mm-hmm. So that's where the science fiction kind of um, comes into this, uh, into this novel. But now I'm going to be slightly difficult for a second, because okay. alien is a word that gets thrown around yeah. at people who look like you and I. Yeah. I mean... It, it sure does. Dude, you're from Buffalo. Right. I mean, <laughs> you can take Amtrak to Buffalo. Yeah. Boston, you know, I have a choice. I can take, you know, Amtrak or I can fly. You mm-hmm. Know? Mm-hmm. Actually, you can fly to Buffalo, I can fly right? To okay. Buffalo, yeah. All right. So, shows you how much I know about Buffalo. Buffalo's farther than Boston from New York. Okay. That's I'm just, just I, no. yeah. New York is a very long state, to say. I'm a city person. Yeah, I know. I'm a city. I'm just better in cities. <laughs> that's really all I can. And I realize Buffalo's a city, but y'all understand what I'm saying. But this idea, though, that you can take science fiction and turn it on its ear. Mm-hmm. Like, let's sit with that for a second. Because yeah. honestly, right, there's this expectation sometimes that we're going to write a certain kind of narrative. Mm-hmm. It's going to be an immigrant story. It's going to be this. It's going to yeah. be that. We have to fall with, we have to color within the lines, right? Like mm-hmm. icky metaphor, but there you have mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. And you blow up all of that with this book. All of it. Yeah. All of it. The tech bros even. I mean, please make more fun of tech bros. Please, okay. everyone should be in. Excuse me if anyone here is a tech bro. I'm sorry. But that culture, right? Mm-hmm. Like that culture. And when you look at kids of color who are part of that whole mm-hmm. tech world, they sort of become a different kind of person in a way, right? Like they become the broiest of the bros. Yeah, yeah. And I'm looking at them going, you're still you. What's happened? Yeah. You're still brown. Right, right. You're right. One of the things I wanted to do, or maybe this is just part, you know, Personal Days is, is an, was an office novel, but mm-hmm. I didn't want it to be a typical office novel. Right. Like, it would be funny, but, you know, I'm going to do stuff with the structure. Like, mm-hmm. it's just part of who I am, especially as a, as a fiction writer. Mm-hmm. And with this book, uh, you know, the canvas is bigger, and I, and I knew that these three parts all had to kind of work differently. Mm-hmm. And even within, like, the 2333 thread, I do something where each chapter of it jumps forward a decade right. and is done in a different stuff. So I'm constantly trying to, you know, keep it fresh for mm. me because yeah. I feel like if I'm fascinated by what's on the page, like, mm-hmm. the reader will be as well. And I think that maybe, you know, we've been talking about sort of Asian-American literature and, mm-hmm. and, and as as a concept, obviously I wanted to stand out in some ways, like mm-hmm. no other book will be like this, but also maybe to hopefully show people what, uh, and I'm talking about writers, you know, yeah, what yeah. can, what, what is possible, um, if that doesn't sound too, um, too immodest. No, because one of the things I've been noticing in the reviews of the new book too is, you know, people are throwing around names like Pynchon and DeLillo, and I'm like, it's about time, mm-hmm. right? Like, why shouldn't you just sit yeah. You, you, I mean, you clearly, yeah. they are big influences for They're you, right? Young Hill Kang, also a big yeah. influence for you. But, I mean, you pull from so many different places yeah. in so many different ways. And to me, that's American literature, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, we shouldn't just be saying it's got to be here on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Like, write the thing you're going to write. Right. But, of course, we're going to bring all of the influences. Yeah. You're always going to have hockey in a book, dude. Yeah. I know this. Like. <laughs> I'm not going to read an Ed Park novel and not have, and not a, little have a, little, a little hockey. A little hockey, And I'm good with it. I'm Okay. The New England, everyone gets skates when they're little, like, you right, show up right. and they're like, here's a pair of skates. Don't try not to kill yourself, but go. But this idea, right, that you are some sort of hyphen or an alien or yeah. anything else, it's like, no, you're a dude from Buffalo writing yeah. this well, book. Yeah, I, th- I think, I mean, the hockey thing is, is interesting because, you know, when I started writing it, I was thinking mm-hmm. I, I, hockey was not 
on my mind, let's say, but at a How? certain point, what? <laughs> well, just I, I didn't set out to write a book where, where hockey. Played, I know, but a role. all I'm saying is hockey is just been a thing for you since it, you were tiny. It, so it how is it not going to somehow I work think, in there? Well, I think over the years, as I'm as I'm working on this, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of like go deeper into your memory, right, right? Okay. and to, into things that you're interested in. And then I realized that this is dating myself, but like in the early, I guess early 2000, let's say 20 years ago, or even more than that, I had written a line just for a mm-hmm. little couple page thing that I was trying out. Somebody basically says, you know, I believe the Korean War never ended, and I believe that the 1999 Stanley Cup finals were never resolved. So that's when, that's when, that's when the Sabres lost to the, to the Dallas Stars. And there are still people who, who say that because uh, the winning goal was scored by, by Brett Hull with, when his foot was in the crease, like that shouldn't count. And so every, anyway, but it's sort of like a ridiculous conceit, right? To compare these mm-hmm. things of, you know, the, the magnitude is uh, completely different. But writing this book, I got to this part where I was like, well, what if somebody thought that? So if you do have a question and it's on an index card, please, would you give it to Jason? I just also like to work in questions as we go, because there's nothing oh, more sure. boring than sitting around waiting for your question to be asked. Here we go. I mean, as you can tell, I do my homework, but I'm also curious to see what you guys are thinking. Oh, interesting. Did Fred Armisen's discovery of his Korean father's heritage, which, I, which he had thought was Japanese, inspire the character whose father tells him he's Korean? And not Japanese. Is this a common phenomenon? You know, it might be more common than you think, and that's that's not really a spoiler. It happens yeah, yeah, early it, in the yeah. book, and and uh, that was definitely written pre Fred Armisen. But that episode was fascinating. The Finding Your Roots show, where mm-hmm. he his, all his life thought he was um, his. I guess his grandfather was this uh, very famous Japanese modern dancer, and had turned out to be a spy. But then, you know, on that show, they discovered he's that family. His, that part of the family actually came from Korea, and you know, changed their name. So somebody, there is a character, not the main character, but there's another character in the book where that is the case. Right. Yeah. Koreans in Japan have a really rough go of it, and you know, there's a lot to love about some aspects of Japanese culture, but there's just some really weird stuff. There's just some really, really weird stuff. And this idea that you can be that insular mm-hmm. and just, and I'm, I, I don't know. I, I still, I think there's a better way to handle it. But again, no one in Japan has asked me for my opinion on the subject, so maybe I should just stop. But I do, I come back to this idea of a pan-Asian American identity, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we're a little complicated. We're a little messy. Yeah. Like we really would like to do better. And sometimes I look around and I'm like, "Wow, wow, okay." Like there are there are moments where I I look at the community and I'm just like, "Yeah, we could do better. <laughs> we could do better. Wow, we could do better." It's interesting to me the way you play with identity. And the one thing Ed and I agreed when we were talking about this this morning that we were not going to do any spoilers. The book is two days old. I am not going to take the pleasure of reading this book away from you or anyone listening to the show. So we're staying far, far away from spoilers. But I will tell you that when I got to the end of the book, I yelled because it is so satisfying. And he does a thing. He does a thing that I'm not going to steal from you guys. But it was amazing. But it's also playing off of identity. Sure. Yeah. In a way 
that isn't necessarily about race, but it's also not not about race. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a good way to tiptoe around it. Yeah. Um, I was so happy when so Miwa sent me a message this morning that was full of expletives, <laughs> but in a really good way. Um, and I guess I want to say, you know, what the book has sections that you know there is a lot of history in it, yeah. but it's like only the good parts. Like I just want it to be mm -hmm. entertaining on the one hand, and so. I've put in all these, you know, kind of revelations and like twists and stuff. So that's right. exactly the effect I wanted right. it to have when you when you got to that point. Yeah, but if maybe stepping back from the from the end uh, for a moment, maybe I should just mention the what the Korean Provisional Government is okay. as a way of getting. Yeah. Well, as a way of no, getting. No, it's it, okay. Fair. That is not this. a spoiler. It is actually maybe a thing you should know, but you have to tread gently. Yes. Well, just the nar narrator Soon Sheen, at, at the, who I mentioned at the beginning. He comes across this manuscript by uh, by a Korean novelist, and it's called Same Bed, Different Dreams. And the manuscript is a novel that proposes that something called the Korean Provisional Government, which uh, was founded in 1919 when Korea was a colony. And, and the idea was like, this was a government in exile, didn't really have any power, but it was like to tell the world, you know, hey, right. we're, you know, we, we should we should be free. We're we're. You know, we were a country for thousands of years, blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah. And nobody, nobody was really listening. But mm -hmm. the, the conceit is that uh, in this novel within the novel that the KPG, in fact, still exists. Right. It did not dissolve after World War II. It kept going. So some real people who are in it, like mm -hmm. Syngman Rhee, are, are named and, and I kind of get into their lives. But then I also, or or my author in the book, ropes in all sorts of people. Some of them aren't gently, even Korean. Gently, gently. So, <laughs> so that's, but, it, but it's sort of a way, I guess, to maybe make both, you know, kind of American readers as a whole, but also, you know, also obviously Korean Americans, like, think of what is the relationship between uh, Korean history and American history. Right. Yeah. But what is history, right? You, what is you history? You ask this multiple times yeah. throughout the book. What is history? Why can't you just tell the good bits? Because that's really I what a history book is. I, it's just telling the good bits. I'm a little nervous because my college roommate is here. And he, was, <laughs> he was a history major um, and I wasn't. I do bring that up. That's the mm -hmm. very first sentence right. of the whole book. And I look, you know, I kind of uh, subject history to various fictional treatments. Okay. But I kind of think that the answer to that question, and that question is repeated, right? It's mm -hmm. threaded through the book mm -hmm. and in the various different sections that I've mentioned. And I think the answer to that question is the book. Like, I think, you know, you kind of throw out this abstract question, but to get to something approaching an answer, it's like I had to use everything I knew and everything I knew about writing yeah. to like kind of make this thing that's also about like you said earlier identity and and a way of kind of squaring that with with what I know or what I what I've felt and thought about history. I mean we're sitting here yeah making history not the kind that's I mean obviously we're releasing the show into the world but yeah. we are sitting here in a moment where we are making history. Yeah. You get up in the morning, you brush your teeth, it's about to become history. I mean, I think we need to change our definition mm -hmm. of what history is, right? It's not just a thousand-page book that mm -hmm. has been researched and footnoted mm -hmm. and everything else. I mean, we're it. Yeah, yeah. History doesn't exist without us. Right. The question is, how do we tell it and who do we let tell it and how do yeah. we claim it back? When someone may have... <clears throat> MASH comes up, obviously, a mm -hmm, lot mm -hmm. in this book. And I realize MASH was like the most watched television show yeah. ever in the history of the eight. Blah, 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 blah. 
And I had a math teacher in elementary school who had actually served in the army, and he used to wig out when kids would talk about math. And I don't blame him. He clearly had had a very bad experience, and he was like, it was not like that. It wasn't, yeah. yeah. It wasn't and, a comedy. Oh, yeah. no, no, no. And I mean, seriously, I get, I, I totally get it, but I'm just watching this math teacher kind of, I felt very bad for him, even as a tiny person, because I was like, this is not good. Like, yeah. whatever is happening here is not good. But I also really hated math and just kind of not <laughs> wanted to not be in the room. You know, we have these ideas, mm-hmm. right? There are people who genuinely believe whatever they were to... I, I warned you I was going to bring this up, but we got to talk about Intron for a second, that movie. Sure. Was it really produced by the Moonies? Yeah. Okay. I, well, so you, you mentioned, you know, everybody knows what MASH is, right? Mm-hmm. It was it was the, the season, the series finale oh. in 1983. I, I, I put that in the book. It was, it's still like, I think the most watched non-sports yes. thing in, in history. 1983 is like an important date in the book. And, and when I saw that, that, and mm-hmm. I remember, I don't know if people here are old enough. Did people watch it in 83? Yeah. I remember watching it. I actually watched a lot of MASH because mm-hmm. it was on constantly and it was on after school. Yeah. And so, um, but it was a weird way for me to think about Korean history. Right. I don't think that's what I was consciously thinking, but it's like my parents lived through the Korean War. Right. My dad was a teenager during the war, but you know, later mm-hmm. he was he was in a mash, you know, he right, served right. in a mash in the Korean army. But it's this comedy. Uh, all the Asian characters are kind of like off to the side. It's, you know, filmed in Malibu or wherever. One of the things I wanted to do in some sections of the book is kind of look at popular representations mm-hmm. of, of Korean history and, and the Korean War. And so you bring up Inchon, which is a movie that it was in theaters for like a millisecond uh, in, I believe in 81, it finally came out. And it was produced by uh, the Reverend Sun Myung Moon. And I don't know exactly how, how much it cost, but it was it was very expensive. They paid to have like a cat. If you can if you can imagine the early '80s, like Lawrence Olivier plays uh, MacArthur. Is it Toshiro Mifune plays? Uh, I don't even know what his character was supposed to be, but he's in it. Um, Omar Sharif is in it. Um, it sounds like the Winds of War. But it's well, you know, it sounds of, like Winds one of, of those was like that time. epic. Yeah. you know, remember when there were miniseries on ABC and like your mom's friends would watch them and you would just quietly slink out of the room. It's a, yes. it's a very <laughs> critically reviled, uh, and it's it's all, it often comes up on the li- on a list of like biggest turkeys you know ever. Mm. But you actually watch it, and it's kind of like parts of it don't make sense. I still don't maybe get all of it, but it's sort of fascinating just as this right. cinematic artifact mm-hmm. where why did he want to make this movie? You know, why did he spend so much getting the, you know, I think he also hired like the South Korean army to like actually be in the movie. Yeah, um, and uh, anyway, it, it was too, and it's sort of like th- that part of the book is, is talking about, about the eighties. So it was really something I couldn't, uh, let go of. One other thing I'll say, if we're talking mm-hmm. about history, I was also thinking about like what you remember, right? Yeah. So I remember MASH. I remember this. I actually never saw it in the theaters because it was it was there just like, I think just one weekend. Mm-hmm. It was gone before the next right. weekend. But in the book, you know, my, my characters obviously go see it. Odd Job from... Uh, do we know Oddjob from Goldfinger? Uh, played by a Japanese actor in the movie, but you read Goldfinger and the way Koreans are described, it's just like so... It's like beyond racist. It's like its own thing. So I like couldn't resist, right. you know, putting putting these things in like pop culture. But also, references. why shouldn't we claim that back? Yes, right. Exactly. Like honestly, yeah. Douglas MacArthur really like yeah. dude has 
wow, there were some words that came out of his mouth. And I was like, you know, you know <laughs> that, mm, okay. Yeah. Why shouldn't we? It, exactly. Like, I feel like if they're in my book, then it, it is sort of an act of reclamation mm-hmm. and, and maybe, you know, reframing. I mean, if we don't do it, someone else is going to keep doing yeah, it around us, it. so we may as yeah. well. But and also, then, I don't know that people think about MASH or Inchon these days, so I feel like I, it's within living memory for me. Okay, so let's, I'm gonna, maybe they're not waking up and saying, oh, let's think let's about think Alan about Alda and MASH today, but <laughs> I do think some of the ideas yeah. that they pick up, no, you're right. they carry that around, and you may not know... I, Nostalgia can be weaponized, yeah. right? Nostalgia can be absolutely weaponized. And I think there are times where people do it unconsciously. Yeah. And it's really annoying. And I would like it to stop. <laughs> I would really like it to stop. But I don't think it's necessarily... I think there's a lot that happens that isn't always intentional. Right. And if we don't have these conversations, if we don't ask mm-hmm. these questions about where that attitude came from then we're stuck in a Groundhog Day loop. And, yeah, yeah. You know, that movie's cute, but I would like to not you would live. Like to gra- get, uh, yeah, yeah like, no, we'll thank move, you. We'll move on no, to the next day. Yeah, the next, yeah, really, I'm good with that. And oh, granted, yeah. I'm talking to the guy who can connect the notebook with Ryan Gosling and Rachel McAdams to Agatha Christophe, but... The Hungarian... I, you know, <laughs> Hungarian I just... Hungarian <laughs> novelist who wrote another book called The Notebook, yeah. I know, but you did it in the pages oh. of the New York Review. Oh. I had fun with that. That's what they pay me for. I know. Do more of it, please. I mean, I was trying to figure out if I could work in a joke about the Fast and the Furious, and I was like, no, No, can't do it. But I'm going to try anyway. All right. So most fun thing about writing this book? Most fun thing? Mm -hmm. Since I keep hitting on the hard stuff. Yeah. Well, I believe Jonathan Franzen said this at at a... panel or something he said if you're writing it and you're having fun it's probably good if you're writing it and you're not enjoying it it's probably not that good so when you get to that point where for example in these uh historical sections called the dreams when i was sort of it was kind of like this fire hose effect like just like all these ideas kept you know parts of piece uh episodes from history and from tv from movies like they just kept coming and I was like they all belong in the book and it was this almost um, you know somewhat manic idea that that these all belong together mm-hmm. and and you know I did cut some things um, that uh, as the book got longer and longer but there's a way like the most fun thing I guess is when you see those elements that you put yeah. in without kind of knowing how they connect right, and then right. finding a connection and yeah. I think I you know no spoilers but there there are a couple places that uh, there was yelling it yeah. wasn't there just was yelling on there, was yelling. On there was yelling. There was yelling. You did a lot. Yeah. The um, connecting of the dots. Yeah. It's, it's there. Yeah. It's absolutely, absolutely there. You have also worked as a book editor. Mm-hmm. You have a terrific editor who I'm very fond of, mm-hmm. Andy Ward. Are you, when you're writing though, are you editing as you go or are you just handing it over to him? I am editing as I go mm-hmm. for, you know, it, it, it comes and goes. Like sometimes I'm, you know, uh, revising, revising. Yeah. But other times it's like, just keep going, just keep going. Right. You'll, you'll revise later. This book was kind of unusual because uh, I got to the end of a very long and actually quite different draft before okay. this historical element really kicked in. I think in. you warned me about that did at I lunch once. Yeah. I think we did talk about this and you were like, well. Like I've been talking about this book uh, with for Neo, a while. Uh, for like, years. I, I've uh, known this was coming. Yeah. Um, and anyway, but that that was kind of the occasion for like a, a major right, okay. reboot. That was actually more my agent, PJ, okay. very gently saying, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but, but it was good. It was good that he said that. And 
I think one thing kind of if that was phase one like phase two of the writing mm. of the book I was pretty ruthless with myself yeah, like okay. so almost like as my own editor and, right. and obviously Andy did like an amazing job when mm-hmm. when that kind of second version right. came in and kind of you know, I wrote whole new sections to try to address mm. right, right. the thoughts that he had. And he wasn't asking for that. But in my mind, I was like, I'll write this new chapter set in the 70s because that'll kind of, you know, piece things together. You know, as a book editor, uh, when I when I edited books, you know, there's some books that come in and you just, you, you just yeah. they're ready to go. They're yeah. ready to be in hard covers. And others where you're like, let's mess this up mm. a little bit. Let's find out what's working, what's not. And I, w- I think I was able to do that with yeah. with this in the second phase. Yeah. I also don't think you turn off that muscle, yes. right? Like, I right. don't think writers turn off the editorial muscle. I don't think editors turn off the writing muscle. Like, I've met people who, as they're learning to write, mm. they have that really stiff, like, I must use the words and the punctuation and everything must be oratory, you know, and you're just like, yeah. sweetie, you're writing book copy. <laughs> it's got to swing a it's little gotta, bit. Yeah. It's got to swing. Well, like, I'm we very- can't. You're not delivering a dissertation. I need you to make someone want to pick up this book. Yeah. I mean, right. I will say, you know, part of this book is just a comic novel. It's like mm-hmm. personal days. And that's maybe my natural uh, mode, mm-hmm. right? I like to write jokes. And oh, stuff. my God. We're funny. And so, yeah, I'm a little bit. I, well, sometimes. But one of the things is for a book that takes this long, like that, that early chapter that I mentioned, this big dinner scene, like. It was like a joke fest, right? Mm-hmm. But then, you know, year seven, I'm looking at that same chapter for like, you know, it could have been like the 80th time. And right. it's like, if the jokes aren't still working, I'm going to cut them. Right. Like they have to be, they could have worked in 2014, but they got to work in 2023. Cousin jokes yeah. always work though. If you're Asian, I'm sorry. Like everyone's What's a that? cousin. Oh, cousin, cousin jokes, jokes. There's always some cousin work. Jokes. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, those, those are kind of the classic ones are, that we need to right. hold tight. But I also There's say some this is someone, <laughs> my grandfather was one of 12 children. So, I have so many have cousins. <laughs> I have so many cousins. Ed, you really did give us so many questions. Sprout coming back, the dog? Oh, my God. You're the only one who's picked up on this. So no, 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 no. There's a dog I'm... or... So, oh, somebody from, from the audience. Yes. <laughs> Julie. Um, the great Julie Atsuka, my, uh, my idol. Um, yes. Uh, that makes there, two of us. There was... <laughs> My friend Kevin Wynn joked that this was the the long-awaited sequel to Personal Days, but the only connection is that the the dog in this book is named Sprout, and that was the name of the boss in Personal Days. I mean... Maybe he's the reincarnation. I was kind of hoping and I was kind of assuming, but, you know, Sprout Sprout shows up in a couple of ways in this book where dogs digging holes isn't necessarily a bad thing. I mean, it was good. It was clever. Yeah. It was clever. He actually wound up playing a pretty big role, the dog, that Uh is. Yeah. And that's all we're going to say. That's all we're going to say. This book actually feels more personal than personal days in a lot of ways. This, it feels totally like there agree. is so much of you in this book. Yep. And I'm not talking about, you know, Soon's three lines of biography. I'm talking about you mm-hmm. as Ed Park critic mm-hmm. and writer mm-hmm. and dad and th- just thinker, I mean, mm-hmm. for want of a better word, right? Philosopher King. It's like yeah. you left it all on the field. Pardon the bad sports metaphor. But yeah, I, I think that's absolutely true. Even though Personal Days was called Personal Days, mm-hmm. like, I mean, a lot of my thoughts about working in an office were definitely in that I, book. Fair. But, but not my thoughts about, um, you know, I wasn't a dad yet, but also my nothing about being Korean and growing up, you know, growing up in Buffalo, mm-hmm. there wasn't any hockey that I know of. Yeah. In a, in a way, um, I mean, this, this goes back to your question about like, when, when did I have fun? It's mm-hmm. sort of maybe that realization that as someone who doesn't think of himself as an autobiographical writer, yeah. 
in terms of fiction, like there was a way to use life material in a way that felt true to my instincts as a fiction writer too, yeah. right? And and make it kind of work as a novel. And and you know, this character's life starts out like mine and then ends up nowhere near mine. So at the very least, it's nice to have a character born in 1970. So I can you know, at every age, I'm like, oh yeah, he was watching. You know, he was watching Mash then or whatever, and have, listening to Rush. I mean, the um, reference. <laughs> Worst things have happened. It could have been Boston, who I've seen live at the Worcester like, Centrum, like but we Boston. won't go there. I, you know, we did a lot of... St- it was a long time ago. Yeah. And very American. Yeah. Right? Like, what gets more American than, like, Rush and Boston and, like, all of those big, like, crazy... Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Well, there's, I mentioned the band Asia in the book. And when that band came out, I just... I mean, nobody was Asian in that group, right? It was all, like, people from, like, EGLP and uh, Yes and stuff. But I was like, I gotta, I gotta buy uh, this tape. This <laughs> is Asia. Uh, we we did a lot with very little back in the day. Like we really, really did a lot with very, very little. <laughs> well, it's it's interesting though, because like any glimpse of like possible representation of anything Asian, you know, oh, you kind of gravitate toward. And and there was one Korean stand-up named Johnny Yoon back in those days and he would come on the uh, Tonight Show sometimes and like tell some jokes and sing and he was actually in a movie called They Call Me Bruce which you know is kind of a flop but it was sort of interesting like there was nobody else like right. who would no other Korean actor that I could think of who starred in his own movie um, yeah we settled for a lot of stuff yeah. we settled we settled possibly too often. But I'm going to ask two of Ed's questions because they're making me laugh. Okay. Are your awesome words in Criterion's Rosemary Baby the reason it's collector's edition? Uh, so I wrote the liner notes to the movie Rosemary's yeah. Baby. I don't think that's the reason why. But <laughs> interesting, you know, we're on, we're on the Upper West Side, you know, watching that movie a lot and, and learning about uh, the filming and the mystique of it. The Upper West Side does come up in the book, so I, mm-hmm. I feel like there I was I was kind of like vibrating on that uncanny UWS wavelength. <laughs> All right, and then which Korean kingdom was the best? I don't know. You mean which of the three kingdoms of your? I I mean I or, have watched none of them, so. So I, mean, I, I mean I I guess the Shilla dynasty. I, I don't know. <laughs> No, I mean, listen, part of the fun of reading Ed, yeah. and you guys know this, and I'm, I'm preaching to the people who are listening from yeah, wherever. in the future. Um, you've written about D&D for The New Yorker. You've written about yeah. Dune, which is a movie that I still go back and forth. I've seen the new version, and mm-hmm. I'm still, yeah, I don't know how I feel about it. But when you explain it as like the ultimate adolescent boy fantasy, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, yeah, that really mm-hmm. makes sense. That makes so much sense. And here you are pulling from all of these different places, yeah. right? And then you turn around and you're writing about Kristoff yeah, in the New York Christoph. Review of Books. Yeah, I like to go. I like to go high and low. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I think those are my interests, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I think there's something like powerful about. So we're talking about this book, uh, the Notebook, by a Hungarian writer named Agata Kristoff, told in the voice of identical twins in a time of war in an unnamed country, and it's like the most brutal, hilarious, perfect novel that I've that I've read maybe like from from uh, from it's from the 80s mm-hmm. but also uh, you know Dune or Dungeons mm-hmm. and Dragons like these things are also very important to me and I think you know it's partly like the books you read when you're a certain mm-hmm. age like mm-hmm. Vonnegut or Brodigan right, or whatever right, right. Philip K. Dick the games you play in this case mm-hmm. D&D like they stay with you like I don't I don't play D&D now but I think about it a lot but um, it's also story, right? Like story. all of this is yeah. foundational story work. And again, yeah. I come back to this idea that, you know, mm-hmm. 
you don't have to stick to a genre, like find the thing yeah. where your voice is, right? Like yeah. if I think about the writers that I love, 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 there's some weird stuff in there and mm-hmm. then there's the stuff that does not age well that mm-hmm. we shall not mm-hmm. speak of ever again. Interesting, yeah. Ooh, Henry Miller, you do not age right, well. Right, right. Wow, that does, <laughs> But all of these pieces, right? Like as a reader, you bring your own experience yeah. to whatever you're reading. And as a writer, obviously, that's the place you start, but you're also a reader. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, you don't separate the two. There isn't the part of Ed's brain that is the writer part and the reader part. There's Ed, the guy who sits down and creates this world. And I think I was, you know, this is my second second Mm. published novel, but I think I was comfortable enough with my own voice. Like, I know what my voice is. I know what my sensibility is that it's like I could invite all these mm-hmm. influences in, in, in into this book. There's a little bit of, of that in personal days, but this is much more, uh, you know, I mentioned Yi Song, this Korean modernist mm-hmm. poet. It's like he wrote these really like, I mean, this word probably should not be used with Asian people, inscrutable poems. They're like ah! real, but they're, they're inscrutable even to <laughs> Koreans, right? They're, but he is like one of the most famous uh, Poets, writers of all Korean literature. There's yeah. a big prize called the Yi Song Prize right. that Hong Kong right. uh, won for the vegetarian. What if these poems, which are formatted so strangely, sometimes it's a grid of numbers that are like reversed yeah, as yeah. if in a mirror. What if these were all because he was a, like a spy for the Korean provisional mm-hmm. government? Like what if, like that's where the fiction kicks in. Yeah. It's like, what do I do with this thing that I've been thinking about for 25 years? How do I put it in my book? Okay, and maybe it's not fiction. And I don't maybe, know. Uh, maybe I mean, it could have been. It could have been. We don't know what he was doing in, in Japan in 1937. All right, so what's next? Do we wait another 15 years? We, we do not wait another 15 years. <laughs> yes, um, we win. I have a I have a book of stories um, that'll hopefully come okay. out before too long. I mean, they're they're all written, and actually, a lot of them were were kind of written around the same time I started. I mean, they were they were gathered right. back in 2014. Some were even older. Talking about stuff that doesn't age well. Like I really went through and took out the ones I didn't like, put in some newer ones mm-hmm. that I wrote. And then there's, you know, I feel pretty excited. I'm, I'm, I'm writing another novel mm-hmm. and uh, kind of, in, you know, you, you finish a book and it has to be re- edited and everything. During that time, I was also just kind of thinking about this other book that I guess I'm calling sort of a, like a K-horror novel, but with okay. historical elements, a little bit of the same bed, different dreams flavor um i'm good with it but okay it just yeah. keep no, bringing it i think keep it'll be bringing it. it'll be interesting yeah but i yeah hopefully not another nine years okay but flipping between short stories and something as sort of heftier yeah as a novel like same bed different dreams that is a different set of muscles right like writing short stories versus oh yeah being able to sit with multiple narratives in a novel mm-hmm. i'm a little surprised to say to hear you say that stories are even on the yeah. On the horizon. Well, that- I, I think there. I'm 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 fond of these stories because there there was like a time when I was you know I was working as an editor mm-hmm. as, you know like it, it's yes when to, the New York Times called you John that was fun what's that <laughs> there was a little news article about Ed and there's a oh, correction yeah, at the bottom that says oh we misstated his name it yeah was, that was uh, he's that not was John weird. I was like anyway they've 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 learned their lesson but um, oh. I think um, <laughs> I think. <laughs> I think like w- while uh, many of these stories kind of came about because uh, somebody would ask me to do a reading and I didn't right. I didn't want to read from personal days again so I'd write a story right. for that reading okay. and um, 
I think three of them, uh, Michael Miller at Book Forum, like they have this Valentine's Day reading. And yep. so three of the stories are like, I wrote them for Michael, you know? And so you, you can kind of, kind of gather these things, but you, you think they're all their own thing and disconnected mm. from each other. But right. you, you, once you gather them, you can kind of see the themes uh, come through. But it's a, it's, I'm a very different short story writer. Like mm. I think with stories, I, you know, I think it's a good strategy just for any kind of story, but you kind of, you got to hook the reader up front. Usually for me, like make them laugh, like mm. just have the jokes and the wordplay, like, you know, go full tilt from the beginning. Cause you're going to be out of it in, in 10 pages. Right. right. And you just want to leave that, leave that impression. And also the fact that a lot of these were written to be read. Mm-hmm. I think, I think knowing that that's actually a good editor internally. That's a really good editor. Yeah. Early on for the show, before we were doing a video piece of it, um, I had to edit the audio. I just want to point out I'm a bookseller and I learned how to edit. That was wild. It changed the way I interview because I was uh, like, yeah, I don't want to sit here and have to clean up my own right. ramblings. So it <laughs> I was like, you, okay. It, it helped you shape the questions. Oh, much and, be- yeah, much, 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 much better. Because, yeah. I mean, early on I was kind of like, well, I don't know what I'm doing and we don't have the budget for <laughs> an editor. Yeah. And hello, world, we're just going to make a show and see what happens. So we'll have a different conversation then when the story collection comes out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I would love. Fair I enough. would love that. Ed Park, thank you so thank much. You. I'm Ewa Messer. This is thank poured over. Thank you all for joining us tonight. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Poured over is a Barnes and Noble production. To help other readers find us, please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts.